I'm Bryce Butler from Access Ventures, and this is More Than Profit, a show where I talk with founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders of all kinds about living and working with purpose, how they do it, and why. Well, welcome back to this month's episode of More Than Profit. My guest is Travis Holloway, and Travis is the founder of Solo Funds, um, and Solo um, for full disclosure, is actually one of our portfolio companies and one of our proud investments. Um, it's based out of Los Angeles, has a distributed workforce. It's actually the first black-owned financial services certified B Corp in the United States. Uh, and it teaches financial literacy with with every transaction. So so Solo, for me, is, is, is a fascinating uh, technology platform uh, because it's going right to the heart of what many of our citizens um, deal with on a daily basis, and that's payday lending. Uh, that's uh, those loan sharks that are charging 400% interest for people that need less than $500 for everyday expenditures. And it allows those borrowers to go and get those those funds that they need to be successful as human beings in life and in their families, um, but not pay 400% interest. And so I'm just, I'm excited just to talk to Travis because of why he built this uh, and to even get into the details of kind of what he's uh, hoping to, to look forward to in the future of Solo. But first, Travis, um, where are you from and kind of what was what was it like for you growing up and it's actually one of the first times i've had a, a guest where i really don't know their backstory very much so i'm really curious to find out like what kind of led you down this path of of starting solo yeah um first and foremost thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to be here with you um i grew up in cleveland uh ohio and you know i always say that growing up in cleveland uh, where it's really gray um, and kind of overall depressing. Um, you know, there's 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 some really unique characteristics that come um, for, for, for many people who are from that area. Um, they tend to be really scrappy. They tend to be really resourceful. Um, you know, they they tend to to be overly honest. And I really appreciate that. And, you know, coming from Cleveland, I really saw what it looks like to watch an economy kind of evaporate. Hmm. Um, my father worked at General Motors for 38 years, and I, I've seen, you know, the auto industry and the steel industry at, at some of its high points, and I see what it is today. And I always like to say that, you know, LeBron was, you know, kind of the last of, of the economy, and we've seen him leave now twice. Um, but with that said, you know, understanding that, I, I realized that I wanted to I wanted to work in finance, and I went to college at the University of Cincinnati, then went on to to live in New York City and start my career as a financial advisor. Uh, I did that for you know about eight years before I decided to venture off and and start this business. But the the business really exists because I was going to work every day as a financial advisor. I was talking to really wealthy individuals who are high income earners about, you know, growing and, 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 and ultimately transferring their wealth. But I would leave the office and I'm having like where I'm having these like million dollar conversations and I would have a friend or family member ask me for $100 to, to make rent hmm. or $200 because their car broke down and realizing that they were asking me for this capital because I was wearing a suit and carrying a briefcase every day, living in New York, working in finance, people just assumed I had it to give. And those requests just kept coming. My co-founder, who I've been best friends with for over 14 years, who started his career off at Procter & Gamble, you know, when you're coming from 
more humble beginnings. A lot of people that you may have grown up with or that you may be related to aren't necessarily growing at the same rate that you're growing. And they start looking to you for help. And I started looking to someone else to send them to to get access to this type of capital. And I just couldn't find it. You know, we were looking for you know, opportunities and living in New York, where a lot of my family actually is from, even though I grew up in Cleveland, payday loans are actually banned in the state of New York. So sending them to a payday lender is something that I wouldn't have done, but it wasn't an option anyway, which is why they were coming to me for these small dollar loans. So when you think about a loan under $1,000, the number one way to get it is to borrow from friends and family. The number two way is to take a traditional payday loan or a title loan. Um, and the, the third way is to essentially go without that basic necessity that you need. And we were, when we realized that those were the alternatives, we wanted to, to create an opportunity for more equitable loans and give people more autonomy and specifically more dignity um, mm. when they needed access to small dollar capital. Do you, I mean, I love it because like, um, you know, you hit on the family and friends and that, that was honestly one of the things that um, really turned me on to the work that you do because uh, we used to work with Kiva um, and we still do. We still work with Kiva and Kiva is a fantastic company. But what we kept coming up against was those are zero percent loans, and, and, and in a lot of the communities in which we worked, they would aggregate from their social networks twenty-five dollar loans to help support a zero percent loan, which is amazing capital for that business. But in some of these communities where they have great social networks, um, those social networks didn't have twenty-five dollars to loan them, and so then they were still running into the issue of aggregating enough to to service to to do to the loan. I'm like, wow, why is there such a a gap of family and friend money. And then, you know, you, you peel that back and you start looking at the wealth inequality in America. You look at systemic racism throughout time and how that's affected wealth uh, distribution and the, uh, the ability of everyday citizens just to, to get by. Um, and then, you know, the crisis of 2008 and how banks have actually retracted. You know, you mentioned a loan of $1,000, you used to be able to go into your community bank and do that on a handshake because it was that sub $1,000 loan. Banks don't do that anymore <laughs> at all. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Oh, my gosh. So you and, guys and they burst. Don't want, and, they, and they don't want to. And yeah. and, and the, the secret to that is, well, why would we want to, to give these people who many people would deem them highly, it will call it uncreditworthy, um, highly risky, why would we give them loans when we can only charge them a certain percent, which is 36% for a bank, when we could just charge them 17,000% for overdraft fees? Yeah. Um, so when you think about a, a traditional bank, no, they don't do small dollar loans, but they will let you overdraft where they'll charge you $35, $36 just for overdrafting by a single dollar. Um, you know, those are incredibly high interest rate loans, if you will, those, those overdraft fees. And it's much more lucrative to them than providing equitable capital under thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, Shad, there's a book that I read that kind of highlighted that called The Unbanking of America. And just one looked of my at... favorite books by Lisa Serpon. <laughs> I, I love that book. It's fantastic. So provocative. And yeah. And I think probably instrumental in how you've even thought about solo, because you mentioned credit score, but you guys don't look at the credit score. So talk to us about what it is, how do you evaluate someone's quote unquote credit worthiness on solo? Yeah, so we're looking at their cash flow. Um, it was really important for us to 
you know, one, give the power to the, the, the actual borrower, right? So the borrower creates all of the terms for a loan transaction. They elect how much money they need, what they need it for, when they can pay it back, and if they're willing to pay anything in addition to the principal amount for that capital. Um, and then they post those loan terms to an open marketplace where another individual could actually fund that request directly. Now, from a, from a credit worthiness perspective, we always felt like cash flow was more was a better indicator of someone's ability to repay. When you think about a FICO score, which is the most used uh, assessment of credit worthiness today, a FICO score is looking at can you make multiple payments over a duration of time. Um, but the problem is for a small dollar short-term loan, you know, a lot of those loans can be repaid back over a short-term period as one lump sum. And those loans actually can't be reported to improve FICO scores. Now, the, the, the more important piece is that FICO scores hit an all-time high in the summer of 2020. And as we all know, summer of 2020 was a very insane time where mm -hmm. over 80% of our country was waiting on $600 stimulus payments from the US government, right? And we're saying that all the FICO scores have never been better. Like from our perspective, that's not a true indicator of someone's ability to repay. Um, but cash flow is, and cash flow tells a very important story. You know, someone who may be working at the local Macy's, and even though their hours are now low at Macy's, doesn't mean that they're not delivering Postmates on the side, or that they may even have a supportive family member or 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 you know grandparent who's actually depositing capital in their bank account on a consistent basis. And that actually shows that they actually do have an ability to repay. So mm -hmm. for us, we leverage that cash flow data as well as a myriad of other different data points, but most importantly, the cash flow to determine uh, whether or not Bryce could repay a loan to Travis on the 18th of the month. And would he have to make hard decisions between paying for his car insurance or paying for his cell phone bill? Because if that's the case, Travis is going to lose most of the time on that loan repayment. So, you know, those are the things that, that we find to be most applicable in this space. Yeah, I want to I want to <clears throat> camp out on the the point you made, like the power in the borrower's hand, which I think is the dignity piece you kind of mentioned in your intro, which yeah. is which is super important because this, you know, first and foremost, going to ask someone for $100 for gas to get to work, such a humbling, humbling thing. And so such a disempowering position. And so to be able to say, hey, I need this and and I'm willing to pay here, X, Y, Z, whatever yeah. that is, that gives them that sense of power agency, if you will, to kind of yeah. determine for themselves what, what that looks like for them. And, and I think that's really interesting because I think sometimes, you know, I've talked to people, they'll log on to solo funds or, and they maybe don't understand that piece and they see the the fee and they don't know maybe that the borrower set that fee and, and they're like, oh my gosh, that's high. And so, well, let's talk about that. You know, some of them are zero and some of them are, yeah. and people will fund that, but some of them are $30 or $40 for a $500 loan. Yeah. It's, you know, what we've determined, <laughs> my co-founder and I early on, we would say that, you know, solo is what stands for social loans, by the way, um, that, that solo is like a social experiment. And, you know, the experiment was, you know, would strangers be crazy enough to lend strangers money? And then on the inverse, would strangers be crazy enough to pay back that stranger? Um, and, you know, when you think about what the media shows all day long, like people wouldn't understand or probably wouldn't believe that the majority of lenders um, are, 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 are white males that are actually deploying capital to majority minority females who are on the borrower side of the equation. Right. So like these things are really, really empowering, 
um, and insightful. Um, one other thing is that 82% of our lending members actually live in underserved zip codes, uh, hmm. the same as our borrowers. And if you compare that to a neighborhood like Harlem in New York City, where someone may own a brownstone that costs two or three million dollars, well, prices are up now, so maybe like seven to ten million dollars. Um, they're they're taking the same train to work as the person who's living in public housing down the block. You know, they go to the same you know Starbucks and and, and talk to the same barista, um, and they're not very like disconnected from the plight of what $100 means to people because they're so close to it. But that was really, really insightful. And for us, the, the returns that are being made on the platform are actually going back into the same communities, right? This isn't some institution who's just making all the fees and getting really, you know, really wealthy uh, in the process. This is actually, you know, financial collaboration at its finest. And when you talk about that community bank example, there was a time where you could walk into a bank and based off of your last name, you could get access to capital or your stature within a particular community. And there was a time that that community bank would reinvest the deposits from that community back into the development of that community. And as to your point, you know, we've long since lost that. And, and we're essentially redefining what that community banking feel um, actually is. Mm -hmm. Now, the, 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 the important piece on borrower setting terms and talking about dignity is the fact that if you walk into a payday lender, um, there's usually a long line, there's usually a baby crying, then you have to speak to someone through bulletproof glass, and then you get charged these exorbitant rates. Um, at Solo, it's actually a mobile platform where you create all of the terms um, on your mobile device, you post it, and it's like magic when a stranger funds your transaction. The, the average loan is funded or matched in around 28 minutes, which is incredible. When you think Bam. about your car breaking down on the side of the road, before the tow truck even arrives, some stranger has uh, has agreed to give you the capital that you need. And that is incredibly empowering. And and uh, that's why we're growing in the way yeah. that we have. And I have to believe uh, part of the, the challenges that you face is you, you've got clearly demand on the borrower yeah. side, right? There's a need that you're filling, specifically in New York where payday lenders don't exist. So it's either family and friends or nothing. Yeah. Um, but on the loan side, like you've got to appeal to the lenders. And so in order to do that, you've got to make sure, one, the solo score is good. So if somebody sees a 94, they're like, okay, that's trustworthy in a sense. I understand how that works. Um, but that, that they're going to come back and relend so that that, that time to, to, to loan, it goes from 28 to 20 or whatever, uh, because the demand right. is going to only ever increase as you expand into new markets. How, how have you found that kind of that challenge? at solo funds of kind of managing this two-sided marketplace of making sure you're, uh, you know, attracting those, those lenders that see this as an opportunity to both help their neighbors, but also like, hey, I don't, I can help my neighbors and not lose money, like grant it to the soup kitchen down the street, uh, but the borrower's on the other side of it too. Yeah, right. It's, it's, this platform lives and dies based off of how trustworthy, um, you know, it, it is, right? And, and, and how we can level out the experience for both sides of our marketplace. You know, borrowers care about access to capital. They care about getting it quickly, um, which is the reason why we actually only transfer funds using debit cards in real time, which means that they're not waiting two or three business days to actually receive the funds. You know, we knew that that was important. Even if your loan gets matched on Christmas Day, you're literally getting the funds in your checking account on Christmas Day. That was really important. You know, these are insights when you come from these communities that you're serving, you understand the pain points a little bit more, you know, innately. 
And that was really important for us as we knew the community. Um, on the on the lender side, you know, creating ways and giving them more information to make more informed decisions uh, was really important. And I would say that early on, we didn't do a great job of that, right? Um, you know, this has been a process of establishing trust with lenders by learning what they they want to know about a borrower. You know, uh, giving them tools to better evaluate you know, an opportunity to, to make a more informed decision and a smart decision, um, you know, creating features that they can opt into to protect themselves from the overall loss of, of delinquency or, or default on the platform. There's a feature that we call solo lender protection, where a lender can opt into it at loan origination and pay a nominal fee, uh, but that loan is not protected from the default risk that exists within the platform. So if that loan goes delinquent, they actually get their full principal back. Um, and these are the things that you know we've been able to do to continue to enhance the experience on both sides um, and essentially continue to, to get that loan match rate or loan funding time down. Um, you know, this type of business is all about balancing the marketplace. Fortunately, because the product market fit is so strong, we haven't had to spend significant capital to grow the marketplace. But balancing the marketplace is very important because if there's too many lenders in the platform and they're just too eager to deploy capital, that means that you know sometimes borrowers who shouldn't be funded um, because they're, they're, they're really high risk actually do get funded because there's just some over, overzealous capital uh, in the or, marketplace. Or like uh, I've, I've been a lender <clears throat> personally for the past year and a half. I've made, I don't know, 300 loans. And so I've run some of my own exactly. mini experiments <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I'm, I'm just, I'm fascinated. My, my goal last year was I want to do a loan a month or no, a loan a day. Sorry. And, wow. and sometimes I would get on there and literally like in two seconds, I, it was like, I was like running through the, yeah. the platform to try to make that loan because yeah. <laughs> it would say, oops, something went wrong. And what it knew, somebody else had beat me to it. So. <laughs> it, it, exactly. You know, what that, what that did, and, and, and that's, that's an experience that we, we want to improve and enhance as well, um, where, you know, we can, you know, lenders can come in and select parameters and the risk tolerance and ultimately have their capital dispersed out um, to where they get access to, to, to good potential loans. Um, you know, what, what that experience that you just shared kind of created was like almost like a gamification, though. Mm -hmm. um, and this wasn't an intended effect um, where, you know, lenders would come in and, they you know, they want to get the best loans and they're trying to be really quick. So they're constantly opening and checking the app um, and they're trying to hurry up and fund these loans. So, like, that behavior was really interesting uh, to us. And we have to figure out how to continue to enhance that in a, in a healthy and responsible way. Um, but you know, that is the behavior that's allowing these borrowers to get funded so yeah. quickly. Well, and I think I'll open the kimono. Like, I have a whole tracking sheet. I mean, I, I can share it in the show notes. It's not that big of a deal. But where I was tracking, like, because I wanted to see, okay, if I make a loan with this solo score, how many how many loans have they repaid successfully before? Do I take the insurance, the lender protection or not? Um, yeah. But the, the really cool thing was in 2021, I tracked it. I think I, I had a pool of capital. I was like, I'm going to take $5,000 and I'm going to use it on solo. And I think in that year alone, it equaled because of I just doing it one a day and the repayments in 14, I think my average is 14 days. Uh, that was relent to equal like $65,000 in value. Um, wow. And then at the end of the year, I had I made money off of the wow. off of the uh, the fees that uh, I earned from that. So it was, it was wow. a really powerful experience. Um, and then I also ran another experiment which was uh, 
my wife and I have a, a benevolence account uh, where we it's like we already are helping people that we can. Like, you know, to you said, people are asking for 100 bucks. Get that all the time. Because what I found in my research was that if somebody can repay three times successfully, the likelihood they'll continue to repay goes up. And so it's that right. three time window. And so I said, well, what if I use some of my benevolence money and help the people that only had one loan mm -hmm. and got them to that point? And it was interesting to see uh, the success rate on that versus, you know, the other one. So, wow. Yeah, that that's uh that's that's exciting. Um, one, thank you for being. <laughs> I'm, I am a I geek out on you guys, man. I love the platform. I, I, I was going to say, you know, first and for, foremost, thank you for being such a strong supporter um, of the platform. That's incredible, um, and and thank you on behalf of the borrowers, right? Like these are these are you know a lot of people ask questions around like who are the borrowers? Are they some deadbeat people who have never have an intention to repay? You know, these are teachers. These are mm -hmm. social workers. These are, you know, these are courtroom public defenders, right? Like these are individuals who are, are gainfully employed. You know, they're educated. Many of them may live in, in a city that has a higher cost of living. Um, and even if they don't, sometimes they just don't earn enough to absorb financial shock, right? And when you, you think about the 78% of the United States that's living paycheck to paycheck, um, you know, when these emergencies happen, they either have to sell something or they have to borrow from someone else to 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 satisfy even you know small four hundred dollar uh, emergency needs and mm -hmm. there has to be more equitable solutions uh, in this space and you know I'm happy that solo is 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 able to be at least an option in this space yeah and that's a really good point because I think it's good to to highlight that you know forty six percent of Americans don't know where four hundred dollars would come from. Exactly. And I think so to your point, these are these are working people working hard, sometimes two, three jobs, have families paying their bills and then something happens. You know, and that was yeah. the interesting thing that I would see, like there would be a natural disaster and I'd start to see natural disaster requests yeah. as the yeah. as the reason or Christmas time. And that always broke my heart. It's like I need to buy Christmas kiss, gifts for my kids. And you're like, right. yes, I'm loaning. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I did want to ask, like one of the things I have been curious about, because I'll see on there. Are, do you have much in, in, in insight into, you know, a borrower that is paying $30 on the loan versus like I see a ton sometimes where it's $0? Mm -hmm. Does, are, there, are there a lot of lenders that are there? Like what are the reasons lenders are coming to your platform? And does that, does that, that fee really have any impact on the, on the, on the, on the volume or the, rather the frequency, the time to loan um, that you're seeing on your platform? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, the first is uh, the first part of it is loans with no uh, return offered to the lender get funded multiple times every day, hmm. right? Probably that's good to right hear now as we speak. Yeah, and it's interesting when you think about this because when you think about a platform like GoFundMe, and today is about solar funds, but you know what? We'll talk about GoFundMe for a quick second. <laughs> um, you know, GoFundMe became a billion dollar business off of only making money largely from donations, but really making a, a platform that people gave money away, right? Like if, and, and people did that because they connected to the reason why someone needed the capital, right? Whether it was they were sick, whether it was, you know, the house burnt down, whether it was, you know, they got a flat tire. And I realized that if people were willing to give money away, they would also be willing to lend it. Hmm. And 
if they would be willing to give it away and they would be able to lend it, you know, I also thought that they would be able to lend it, be willing to lend it with no return because it actually amplifies that capital. What I mean by that is even if I lend Bryce $200 and I don't make a single dollar as a return from it, when Bryce pays me back, that $200 can now go to five other people. And that $200 is now, you know, $1,000 worth of like lending power, but I've impacted five lives versus just one. And mm -hmm. that's what's really exciting to a lot of our, our lending members who, you know, are not super concerned about, you know, any type of return potential. It's more so I could take the same pool of capital that I would have given away and never seen again, or would have only had a certain amount of impact. And I can now take that, recycle it, and I can keep that impact flowing over and over again. It's really powerful. That's amazing. Yeah, that that is super powerful. And then, so with lending, obviously there's there's going to be delinquencies, there's going to be defaults, and so I think given the 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 role that Solo plays, <clears throat> you you I think you and I have talked about this before, but I'd love to hear you just mention it on the podcast. Like, so something does go into collections. What does that process look like for the borrower? Because I have to believe your your heart and the intention of the company is is very different than how. A, a sterile bank with no relationship to the borrower, no thought to their needs is going to handle that circumstance. So what does that look like as you go to collect, you know, maybe a delinquent loan? Yeah. So, you know, the, the loan is essentially delinquent on the date that it was originally supposed to be repaid. Um, but we don't consider it defaulted for until the 91st day. So we essentially mm -hmm. give people um, a, a, a grace period, if you will, before it is sent to any type of collections agency to recover. Um, what's, in, what's important is that, you know, there is a, a small late fee that is assessed to a borrower uh, on the date of delinquency, but this is not a compounding uh, mm. um, fee. So, you know, anywhere else when you, you pay something late, you know, it either starts accumulating by the day, it starts accumulating by the month, but it balloons, right? So if someone were to pay a loan two days late versus 200 days late, it's actually the same late fee, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's no compounding effect. Um, for us, you know, again, you know, our, our level of accountability is incredibly high because we created a business to like feel happy or maybe not happy. We wanted to build a business that we were comfortable sending our friends and family to. And we don't want to create debt traps here. We want to have people, you know, we want to give people an opportunity to get access to this capital, but we don't want to put them in, you know, a cycle of perpetual debt. Um, you know, our average borrower takes four loans per year, um, which we, which is basically once a quarter. And when hmm. you think about emergencies that may happen where you have like a short cash gap, it's kind of probably like once a quarter. Um, and, but 30% of our borrowers actually become lenders on the platform, meaning that wow. they don't need to be borrowers forever. And that's like this path to upward financial mobility that we want to create. We want to give people access to more tools and resources. Um, so, you know, for, for us, it's every aspect of the business. We want to provide, you know, a significant alternative to what, what has historically existed in the market. And, and again, think about like the dignity um, mm. in that process. Now, I will tell you that later this year, we will start reporting loans to bureaus to help positively impact actual credit scores. We're incredibly excited about that. Um, but with that said, you know, again, we, we wanna do the right thing. So we don't negatively report any loan data 
to hurt a borrower's credit score. Why? Because we haven't yet had an opportunity to positively impact their credit score. So, you know, for us, it's it's about accountability, but it's also about, you know, we can't have ways to 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 harm people without mm-hmm. offering them a, a way to help themselves and improve their financial situation. So, you know, that was a very important aspect. So even though a loan can end up at a collections um, company, you know, after the 91st day, um, even then, we do not allow those companies to report to negatively impact credit. Dude, that's awesome. And I think that's uh, that's a, a really powerful thing because um, the credit. I mean, honestly, we've done lending before uh, at Access Ventures, small business lending, below market. Um, but even setting up that that mechanism to report to credit. I mean, that's that's what people assume. Like, oh, are you reporting to credit? It's like I don't think they realize how laborious and costly that can be to actually report. And then there's also just the in, the intentional, like the intrinsic question rather around just the we're actually trying to say credit scores are not the right way to evaluate people. Right. <laughs> but, right. you know, it's that dance, right? Because that's that's yeah. where banks are still. Um, yeah. So it is good yeah. to hear that that's on, on the pathway for you. So I wanted to, I want to give you the kind of the final word because um, this has been awesome. Man, I, I really love what you guys are building and I'm sure uh, every time I call you or try to email you, you're busy or you're, you know, trying to get with investors. So I know you're, you are head down cranking on this thing. So I want to kind of know what are you really excited about? Like what over the next five years, where is solo in your mind and what, what are you guys focused on, uh, as you support, uh, people across the country? Yeah. So, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe say it here publicly for the first time, but we're, we're launching Neo banking features, um, and our platform. And with, you know, alongside a partner bank um, that I won't name, but we're really excited about that relationship. Um, you know, you're just going to start seeing more traditional financial tools and resources become available to our members, um, whether that's, you know, credit building opportunities and products to credit cards to, to, to debit, debit cards and high yield savings accounts. These are all things that, you know, these individuals need. Right. You know, if people had more emergency savings built up, then they wouldn't need access to small dollar loans. And it's not just the person who's making $36,000 a year who may need um, a helping hand. You know, over 30% of those who make $100,000 or more actually have $0 in savings, right? Mm. So this is a, it's a, it's a mentality shift. It's about providing more financial literacy, but it's also about giving people an opportunity to learn in a healthy way um, how to manage their finances and how to build, you know, healthy financial muscle, um, if you will. So, you know, for us being able to leverage, um, some of the data that we have on our platform to give people access to, to these other resources is, is critical, you know, mm-hmm. you know, small, small death benefit life insurance, you know, because, you know, I lived in New York city for, you know, a third of my life and I could, not count on one hand the, the the number of times I saw someone board a subway car with an airbrush T-shirt saying R.I.P., saying that you know one of their loved ones had passed away and they didn't they couldn't afford to literally put them in the ground. And there mm. used to be a time where it was actually much cheaper to cremate someone, and you know even those costs are are, are pretty much comparable at this point. When you think about you know the the thousands of dollars required to to literally lay someone. To, uh, to, to their eternal rest. Um, many families aren't in a situation to, to do so. So for us, having these experiences and being this close to you know, these demographics 
um, you know, we understand the opportunities that exist and, and we're really excited to, uh, to start giving them uh, the resources that they need. If you haven't already, you'll want to definitely download Solo Funds and begin lending or borrowing today. They have both an Apple and Android version and links are in the show notes. To learn more about Solo Funds, check out solofunds.com. And when we talked, we mentioned the book, The Unbanking of America by Lisa Servan, and a link can be found in the show notes as well. As always, stay up to date by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, drop us a review so others can find us as well. More Than Profit is a production of Access Ventures. Direction, design, and editing is done by Render, a public benefit innovation studio in Louisville, Kentucky. To learn more about their work, check out workwithrender.com. I'm Bryce Butler with Access Ventures. Thanks for listening.